welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Thank you, worship team. I didn't want to stop singing. It was so good to be back inside, and we have uh, such gifted people helping us out. Thank you guys so much. We'll do some more singing after the message to let you know. And those of you at home, we want to say hello to you as well. We know many of you are waiting to come back, and we're praying in the weeks to come you feel more comfortable. We're so glad so many of you are here today, and let us know how we can, again, minister to you in, in this time and this season uh, you know, we are so glad that things are slowly moving back to normal. You're noticing that throughout town and maybe in your own life and work. And, you know, for me, this has been a, a bit of a challenge to be working so much from home. And just to remind you, this is what sermon prep used to look like pre-COVID. Here's a picture. You know, got my books out. You know, the Holy Spirit's pouring through me. This is what it's looked like the past 12 months in COVID. Um, so this is really more, isn't this your reality of the home office? It's like, you're on a call, and it's like, no, not now, I can't. Okay, Daddy, we'll give you a cue. Okay, so that's what my life has been like, and then yours has been as well. Now, every Sunday after I preach, Grace has been so great. She's been mainly watching from home, been coming sometimes, but she's so great. She's watching from home, and I, I come home, so how, you know, how do I do, Grayson? And she'll tell me, like, well, you mispronounced that word, and you spoke too fast, and, and, and then she said one time, she's like, and it's boring. I'm like, what? You're saying your dad is boring. She's like, Dad. You're not boring. I said, oh, that's sweet. She's like, only when you talk. I'm like, thanks. Thank you, Grayson. She's listening right now. I, I asked her permission to share that story. So, so it's great to see things open up. It's fun. But keep praying. Keep following your doctor's advice. Uh, keep supporting and serving other people as you really live sacrificially, right? That's what we do. We live sacrificially as followers of Christ for one another. You know, we have a new mission statement. That's what this series is all about. And what we're going to do is take a look at uh, our mission statement today. But to remind us, it's really a restatement of the Great Commission in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples. And it's a restatement of the Great Commandment in Matthew 22 to love God and to love others. Now, we want you to memorize this new mission statement. I asked my daughter Grayson to make a special video to show you that how easy it is to memorize this mission statement. Take a look. Here we go. We glorify God and make disciples by connecting people to Christ through small acts of great love every day. Hooray! Now I'll tell you, she didn't, she didn't tell me that she was adding the hooray at the end. So now the elders have officially approved hooray is at the end of our mission statement. So, hey, look, if she can memorize it in five minutes, so can you. We hope you'll lean into that. You know, it was a blessing last week. We had Pastor Reed Jolly, a wonderful pastor, join us and uh, lead us in the first part of our mission statement, which is we glorify God. Now, I want you to know, I agree with him, the Bible says that we will be glorifying God into eternity, beginning now and forever. That's what we do. And then we say we glorify God and we make disciples. Friends, this is why the church exists, to glorify God and to make disciples. What does that mean? Jesus and Paul both modeled and taught a Jewish approach to discipleship, because guess what? Jesus and Paul were Jews. And in fact, some scholars think that Jesus was modeling a particular kind of discipleship from the Galilean region, a certain form where you had a student giving his entire life in service to the rabbi. Now, the Jewish word, the Hebrew word for disciple is Talmud. Say Talmud. Talmud. 
That's a disciple, a Talmud of Jesus' day would commit his entire life in order to be with his teacher, physically with him. But it was not enough just to know what the teacher thought. The whole goal was for your life to become like your teacher. The goal was to become like the rabbi, to do what the rabbi did, a Talmud, a disciple. Now, so we are called, friends, to not only be converts to Christ, but Talmuds, students, disciples that imitate their teacher and become like him. Not just think like him, not just know the things he knew, but to become like him. A good Talmud listens to his teacher. Ray Vanderlaan is a well-known Bible scholar, particularly understanding the Jewish roots of Christianity. And he shares a funny story about a Jewish boy who went to his Hebrew school, and he heard about Jonah and the whale, Jonah being swallowed by the whale. So this this, uh, young boy went to his regular school, and at his regular school, he was in science class, and the teacher was talking about whales, of all things. And in the class, the teacher said, someone raise your hand. Tell me something you know about whales. The boy raised his hand excitedly, said, I learned something about whales. A whale can swallow a human being whole. Teacher says, I'm so sorry. That's actually physically impossible. Whales are huge, but their throats are very small. There's no way a whale could could swallow a human being. The boy was persistent, so much that they actually got in an argument in the middle of class. And the teacher finally said, listen, it is impossible, visibly frustrated. And the boy says, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah. And then the teacher snapped back, probably not a good day for the teacher, and said, well, what if he's in hell? And that's kind of mean, right? And then the boy says, well, then you can ask him. (laughs) Now, I just want to pause and say for you parents at home, I do not endorse this kind of language in any class, private, public, homeschool, wherever it may be, don't do it, you'll get in trouble. But it is so important for a student and a teacher to be fully aligned. A Talmud would give his entire life to follow the teacher, not just to think like him, but to become like him. The late Dallas Willard said in his book, The Great Omission, the greatest issue facing the world today with all of its heartbreaking needs is whether Christians will become disciples of Jesus Christ, apprentices, students, practitioners who are steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. See, discipleship is a student becoming like his teacher in thought and in life. And Jesus is asking us if we are willing, if you are willing to be his Talmud and to spend your life walking with him. We're going to take a look at Ephesians 5, verse 1 today. And then in two weeks, I'm going to share on Ephesians 5, verse 2. And so as we look at Ephesians 5, 1, to remind you, it says this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Be imitators of God, beloved children. Now, children of God are to grow up to be like their father in heaven. That makes sense. The Greek word for this word imitation or imitators is mementes, mementes. We get the word mimic from that Greek word that Paul is using. Paul says that we are to mimic God. That is why we are alive, why we are on this planet, to imitate him, to look like him. Now, growing up, I have, a, I have an older brother, four years older, older sister, two years older, and we grew up 
Chinese-American family, in case you couldn't tell. So in this family, very traditional, uh, fairly, in the 70s, it was pretty normal if we did something bad, which I rarely did. But if we did, that my dad would spank, or at least threaten us with spanking. And it, it barely happened, but it was a threat in our family, maybe not for yours, but that was the norm for us in the 70s in this Chinese-American family. And I remember one time distinctly, my older brother, he's a young teenager, I believe, so I was four years younger, maybe nine, he was 13, he's testing the waters, of course. He was doing something bad. Now, to be clear, I was not doing something bad, because remember, I never did anything bad. But my brother, I think, was doing something bad, and my mom got really mad at him. Something that he deserved, I don't remember what it was, but it almost like kind of teasing her, right? And she was like, if you don't stop that, I'm going to come over and spank you. Now, remember, he's 13 now, right? And I'm thinking, first of all, my mom when she spanked us, which was rare, but when she did, it never hurt, but we never told her, right? So I like, we got something good going, because one thing, we rarely spank, but even if she did, it never hurt, but you just fake it, like, oh my gosh, you know, and we'd pretend, right? And so she's like, if you don't stop, I'm going to spank you, right? So I'm watching this unfold, right? I'm like, what's going to happen? So she goes over to my brother, and he's still kind of like, you know, mocking her, and she's like, spanks him, but it was like a little, like a love tap. He's like, oh, that really hurt. And, you know, and I was like, stop, don't say, don't give it up, right? It didn't hurt at all. And he's like mocking her. And she's like, you just wait till your, what? Father gets home. And and, And she was looking at me. I'm like, what did I do? Like, I'm a, I'm the good kid. I'm the innocent one, right? But he was mocking her. When Paul says to imitate God, to mimic God. It's the exact opposite from mocking. Exact opposite. In fact, Paul even talks about mocking God in Galatians 6, 7. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. And what Paul does before Ephesians 5, verse 1, he he does in Ephesians 4, verses 25 through 30, he lists several ways of mocking God, several ways to sow poorly into the life of God. And he says this in Ephesians 4, verse 25, lying, terrible way to mock God. Anger, verse 26, another way to mock God. Stealing, verse 28, another way to sow poorly and to mock God. Unwholesome talk, verse 29. Paul does, he sums up the life that mocks God with Ephesians 4, verse 30. And he says this, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. See, we grieve the Lord when we refuse to become mature disciples of Jesus by sowing things of this world, by sowing things of the flesh, by sowing things of our self-centeredness that have no place in eternity. None of those things I just mentioned will have any place in the presence of God. And yet we sow into those things. We mock God. Instead of mimicking him, instead of imitating him, we mock him by failing to be true Talmuds, true disciples of his son, Jesus. C.S. Lewis said, the church exists for no other purpose but to draw men into Christ and to make them little Christ. And if they are not doing that, all the cathedrals and clergy and missions and sermons and even the Bible itself, it's a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. It's even doubtful, you know, whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose for you to be a student of Jesus, for your life to emulate and to mimic and imitate 
your good God. The Bible says the whole point of your life is for you to be aligned with your heavenly teacher, to reflect God in such a way that people can see his goodness shine through you, that this week someone can look at your life and watch you and listen to you, and they could get a glimpse of the goodness of God. That's the point of your existence, that people could see you and see God whom you imitate. Now, in Ephesians 5, 1, it says, therefore, be imitators of God. That's a pretty high call, right? <laughs> imitating Pastor Tim, pretty easy. Imitating God, oh, pretty hard. Now, imitating God is a big task, especially when you consider, you can just pick almost any verse. Psalm 19, 1 says this, the heavens are telling the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. That's a big order. If God is the all-powerful creator... The question is, is the Bible telling me to try to imitate God in his matchless power? Well, of course not. Of course we cannot match his power. But I, because I have the Holy Spirit in me, you have the Holy Spirit in you, you can join God in his creative work. You can help bring order out of chaos. You can display God's beauty and God's provision. Yes, through your little life. You can do that. You know, whenever we help the food pantry in Seaside with Martha Henry, a handful of you have done that every week. We have a bin out. You can come on Sundays or come midweek, or I can send you directly there. You are giving a, a glimpse of God's goodness, of his creative work by providing. You get it? You're providing in the name of Jesus. Let me ask you another question. You flip the page in the Bible. You see that God is a God of justice throughout the Bible. And if God is a God of justice, the one who, who miraculously brought his power in bringing plagues to Egypt to free the oppressed Hebrew people, right, by the power of his hand, is Paul telling us to imitate God's matchless power? Well, of course not. But because God is a God of justice, because we are called to imitate God, you get to participate by celebrating when justice is being done on earth well. You get to celebrate and join and collaborate with God in seeing the goodness of heaven made known on earth, on earth as it is in heaven, as the Lord's Prayer says. Micah 6.8 tells it well. It says, it says this, he has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. No, you can't match God's matchless power Injustice, but you can join him. You can give a glimpse of his goodness, of his creative beauty, of his order coming out of the chaos of justice and things being made right. Just last week, your elders met. One of the first things we did, we prayed for our nation that is going through so much ongoing turmoil over racial issues and, and, and violence. We prayed sincerely for peace. In our nation, we prayed for the Greater Victory Temple, this fantastic black church that we've been partnering with. They asked us for our prayers. Pray for our black church. Pray for our black community. This is a difficult time for us. Would you pray? And so we did. And we prayed for the Asian American community too. A 250% increase in, in violent acts and racism over the past year. Just last Sunday in a park in LA, an elderly Asian couple was randomly attacked just for walking in the park. 
Thank goodness for a bunch of bystanders of all colors who, who stopped the perpetrator and surrounded him and waited for the police to come. And you know what? We prayed for our police in our community. We praise God for the wonderful relationship that our police force has with our community. We prayed for ongoing peace in our community. We prayed because we're joining God in the work that he is doing. We celebrate when justice is being done. We participate with heaven being known on earth. See, imitating God might seem impossible, but God is inviting us into a life of joining him in the work that he is doing on earth. Imitating the God of justice, the God of creation, of course, the God of love. We're imitating him by his power through our little lives. So let me ask you again, how can you join him this week to give a glimpse of his goodness in your daily life? Think of that cubicle you'd be sitting in. Think of that airplane you might be flying on. Think of that restaurant you might be seating someone in. Think of that school you might be teaching or maybe a student at. Wherever that may be, how can someone look at your life and they say, I saw something beautiful and good, peaceful, truthful. That's our job. Ephesians 5.1, remind us again. It says, therefore, be imitators of God. Now, any good Bible teacher, hopefully in the past year and a half, you learned something from me, but whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you ask, what is the therefore? Hey, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. What is the therefore? Therefore. Well, let me tell you, Paul's letter to the Ephesians is beautifully divided basically in two halves, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, and Ephesians 4, and 5, and 6. Ephesians chapters 1 through 3 speak of God's triumph in Christ, while Ephesians chapters 4 through 6 speak of how we are to be disciples and students of Jesus joining God in his kingdom work. But let me give you a little summary of chapters 1 through 3, and you can email me for the notes here, but listen to this. Let me give you a little summary in just a minute. It says this, it tells us who we are, that in Christ we are chosen from the foundation of the world that we are adopted into God's family, that we've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, that our sins have been forgiven, that we have been led in on this mystery of God, that we have obtained an inheritance from God, that we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, and this Holy Spirit guarantees our good future. In this section, we, it tells us we've been raised up with Christ, we've been seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. It tells us that we are God's workmanship and that there are good works that God is preparing in advance for us to do, that we are God's poema, that in Christ that we've been brought near to God so that, and that now we are God's temple in this world and that we have the direct access to God's holy presence through Christ and in the spirit, that this spirit who strengthens us deeply within. And it says that this Christ who dwells in us dwells in our hearts and he makes a home in our hearts. And we are grasping how wide and long, how high, how deep is Christ's love and that we are being filled up to the fullness of God. And then he finally sums it all up in Ephesians 3, 20 through 21. Now to him who was able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. It's a sermon in itself. That, that's Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. And then Paul says, therefore. 
The Bible tells you who you are before it tells you what to do. This is all the realities that are for you in Christ Jesus by the power of God the Father through the presence of the Holy Spirit. This chapter 4 begins a series of therefores because once we soak in all that Paul develops in Ephesians 1 through 3, there has to be a therefore, right? There has to be. It explodes out of the pages. And in fact, let me give them to you. They'll be on the screen. Ephesians 4, 1 says, Therefore, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called. In Ephesians 4, 17, Therefore, walk no longer as those who walk in the futility of mind. In Ephesians 4.25, therefore, laying aside all falsehood, speak the truth. In Ephesians 5.1, therefore, be imitators of God. In Ephesians 5.15, therefore, be careful how you walk. Be filled with the Spirit. See, the therefores tell us what to do because of what he's already done. And then there's one more really important therefore I want to mention to you from Jesus himself in Matthew 28, 18. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. See, when Jesus was about to ascend to heaven, he gave us instructions to do one thing, make disciples. You know, according to Dallas Willard, the word disciple occurs 269 times in the New Testament. The word Christian appears three times. Perhaps we have settled for making converts instead of the hard but satisfying work of life-changing, relationally-driven, mutually-accountable disciples. You see, glorifying God and making disciples is why the church exists And disciple-making is our imminent mission, listen to this, because it's our earthly call. Jesus' last command wasn't to go and make a successful church, go and make great music, go and write wonderful books, all good things. His last command before he ascended into heaven was go and make disciples, church. It was to go and to imitate the God of justice, the God of creation, the God of love. You see, friends, we're going to glorify God into eternity, beginning now. We'll do it forever in his presence. But listen to this. There won't be a need for discipleship in heaven. Let that sink in. There won't be a need for any more missionaries in heaven. The job has been done. But while we are alive, we have one earthly call to make disciples. That's it. One thing, we'll be glorifying God for eternity. We have one job, one little tiny job in our short little lives. And we see Jesus face to face. Oh, he longs to tell us, well done, good and faithful servant, for joining me, being my Talmud, being my student, being my apprentice, and giving little glimpses of my goodness, Jesus says, in your everyday life. We have a finite mission with eternal consequences. Friends, there are so many things in this world that don't matter, but every moment you invest in making disciples, oh, it matters. Every small or big thing you'll offer to the Lord that someone else might know God and become more like him, oh, it catches God's attention, and it matters. Let's pray. 
Lord, we know it is a tall order for us to look like you, but we thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit you give each one of us, everyone who has called upon your name, every one of us who has bowed down and said, we want to be your Talmud, your disciple, Jesus. You promised your Holy Spirit to live within us, to make a home in our hearts that you're never going to let us go. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for that promise. And thank you for the reminder that we get to be alive today to help people to see your glory and for others to come to know you, Jesus, and to grow into your likeness, to glorify you and to make disciples. Lord, help us to remember this is why we are alive. And Lord, we know one day you'll return and we pray until that day, may you find us faithful, giving little glimpses of your goodness in our everyday lives. Thank you, King Jesus. Thank you, Lord of Lords, King of Kings. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.